Hello, ladies and gents, and welcome back to the intro. This is your host, Matt Delavalle, a.k.a. MDV, and you are joining me for episode 79, the one about coaching the simple stuff. Me and my co-host, Mr. Max Isaac, are back on the mic this week talking about why it's so important that the simple movements get the love they deserve. And in this episode, we will talk about topics like the importance of highlighting the basics, coaching workouts with multiple movements, and how to triage, getting on your soapbox as a coach and whether or not that's appropriate, and how to master your preparation at every level. Now, talking about preparation, if you've listened to this podcast before, I am sure you have heard me talk about the NC Fit Collective. We have solved the issue of coaching development. This is the number one way to not only prepare to go out and run a fantastic class, but also to invest in your long-term coaching journey. Every single day, you're essentially getting access to a scholarly article about coaching. And that scholarly article will lead you through a soup to nuts plan on how to go out there and run a fantastic class. We give you pointers on your whiteboard brief. We give you pointers on your warm-up, timeline, stimulus, teaching notes, adjustment notes, and so much more. The NC Fit Collective is a fantastic product. If you're a coach or a gym owner out there, you have to check it out. That's the NC Fit Collective. Now, if you're looking to get buff, if you're looking to get ready for summer, NC Flex on the NC Fit app is the place to find that programming. That's my bodybuilding program. It's exclusively through the NC Fit app. So check it out. You can go to the iOS, Apple, iTunes store, whatever they're calling it these days, and you can download the NC Fit app and you'll gain access immediately to NC Flex, but also all of our other amazing programs. Now, without further delay, grab a notebook, grab a chair, and let's learn a thing or two about coaching the simple stuff. Let's go. All right, ladies and gents, welcome back to the intro. I'm sitting down with my main man, Mr. Max Isaac. He is sitting this week on the floor, giving me the full view of oh, everything. God. No, I'm just kidding. It, people, is, but you know what? Pe- people are going to request the video now, which is good. So that's that's important. Well, last week I was intimidated by um, you know your lacrosse uh, manhood that you were flaunting around in the uh, in the quad, tossing the ball back and forth. The the stone. Yeah, yeah whatever they call it, back and forth with your buddies. Um, yeah, I, I got the uh, – I'll tell you, I got the the play with the pup out of the way early. Let me see if I can flip this around so you can see he's he's exhausted. So I made sure that we uh, we played fetch before before the pod. So he'll, he'll be knocked out for the duration. Isn't so it, we're good. Isn't it really funny that um, – dogs end up picking up on little cues and like human action or hum- human behavior or human language. Like for example, my dogs now realize when I'm getting close to ending a phone call because they hear certain words when I'm speaking to somebody and they understand that if, when I start standing up, when I start going to do something that it's time for them to like start acting, it's really, really interesting. It, it, it is super funny. So like right now, like I got into I'm in my wife's uh, PT office right now because I'm at a, our Waltham gym, but I, I got in here early, started sitting down and then immediately he's like, all right, cool. Time to chill. And now he's just, he's laying down relaxing. But if I was to get up and put my shoes on, he'd, uh, he'd spring, spring into action, even though he's exhausted. Um, dogs are the best. Dogs are, do, dogs, I was going to say dogs are the best. They're the best. They're the best. There's nothing beating a dog. You know, I, um, 
I had cats mostly growing up um, when I was younger, younger. We had cats in our house, uh, two cats. And then as I got older, we got like a family dog. It was really ended up being my parents' dog. But I, I never had my own dog until recently. And there's a huge difference between like the family dog and then once you have your own dog. Because I love the family oh, yeah. dog and I was kind of attached to it. But like, you know, you move away and you don't really care that you don't see the family dog as much anymore or at least i didn't you know i yeah. care but it wasn't mega attachment now i couldn't imagine it'd be very tough oh i know but just real quick side note i like cats too so i'm not i'm not i'm not one of those people that's like you can only like one i like cats and dogs they just have different vibes i really yeah. i really want to get a cat because I think that Havoc, my, my younger pup, would get along really well with a cat. Who knows? But, you know, we'll see. I, I enjoy cats as well. You know, it's uh, strange is I developed an allergy later in life to cats. Um, well, you could beat that allergy. If you just rub that cat on your face a couple times <laughs> during the day, you can, you can beat it. Have you ever, have you ever like, talked to somebody who who believes like, and um, maybe there is some real science behind this, but that like you can beat, you know, like an allergy, you know, it's like, somebody's like, somebody's like, Oh, I was like, you know, I was allergic to bees. And then I just like hummed a rock at a hornet's nest and got stung and I was fine. It's like, yeah, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't really know like what the, what the science is behind like beating an allergy. You know? Yeah, you certainly but, don't want to try to beat like peanut allergies or self shellfish allergies. Those, <laughs> those are pretty, yeah. pretty dangerous. Yeah, no, I don't want to do that. Oh, man. Um, anyway, Mr. Max, we are going to tackle a coaching topic this morning that I think is um, relevant and important and um, something that I know you and I both think about because you know, you as a, as a gym owner and a, a manager of people, uh, I'm managing a, a coaching staff at NC Fit. And everybody loves to show up <clears throat> and coach on the days when it's a really fun, big named workout, when there's a lot of excitement behind it, when it's, um, a ho- you know, a holiday that everybody's going to really be all jazzed up about. Or there's certain movements, I think, out there that a lot of coaches really do get excited about being able to show their prowess and how well they understand something or even how well they can demonstrate something. I'm sure there's another side to the equation, which there's many coaches out there that might be a little bit fearful of some of those movements, whether it's, you know, muscle, muscle up or handstand push up or the, the snatch, all those kinds of things. But in general, I think that there's, um, you know, some excitement around the complexity. Right. But on the other side of the equation, oftentimes there's workouts that show up that involve a combination of very simple movements. And, you know, you can fall into the trap of thinking that on those simpler days that you can maybe show up and just kind of mail it in. And I'm not saying that you don't have to rely more on your presence and your attitude or creating a you know, fantastic workout environment on those days to get people psyched up. But there's also a lot of beauty in diving into some of these foundational movements or movement patterns and helping members understand these movements better or correct faults in movement or, you know, even just think about something a little bit differently that they've been doing for 
hundreds and hundreds of reps over and over and over again if they can move a little better. There's a lot of value there. And I know we wanted to have a discussion about not glossing over these movements and not just kind of mailing it in on those simpler days. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I agree with what you're saying. I know that coaches have you know, these, these movements that they really love, like showing off their proprietary blend of progressions. You know, for, for me personally, it's like anytime rope climbs come up, I really love coaching rope climbs because I never won the presidential fitness award in elementary school. And when I learned how to use my feet to climb, to climb a rope, I'm like, oh, okay. Like there is some like real technique to this. And it, it is one of these movements that people, when they initially see it, they learn how to do it. It's super arm heavy. And if you teach people how to climb ropes well, it's like, oh, it's actually, you know, a lot of legs. It's a lot of core. So anyway, I, I don't want to go too, too far down on, on rope climbs, but the thing that I was talking to you about before we started recording is that yes, on like some of these really simple days, I think that one, we get tempted to, you know, if it's, if it's an air squat day, all right, let's get in, you know, 30 seconds of air squats, you know, and, and there's no, there's no like progression or there's no talk about the movement. It's like, Oh, everybody knows what this is. And my belief is no matter where you're at in, you know, your fitness journey and CrossFit, you can always get better at the simple stuff. Right. I mean, if you're, if you're ever feeling like you're too good for that, then like maybe this actually isn't like the right program for you, mm-hmm. right? Like if, if you're too good to do body weight movements, you know, oh, I have to do, can I make this workout harder by, by doing, you know, adding weight to it? It's like, no, just do it better. Right. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. well, that's, I guess that's, that's, that's a whole, that's topic. a whole nother topic. That, that, I, I love that, that topic. That, that, that is a whole nother topic, but on the coaching side, when you have these really simple days, it's a really great opportunity, just like it is every other day, to give your members like one or two things to work on and then to focus on during the workout. But if you're setting the tone early where you're not putting a lot of focused work in, you're saying, okay, you know, uh, today's workout you know, has air squats and burpees. Everybody go do 30 seconds of burpees. Well, your, your members are going to use that same attitude during the workout right? Like if you break down the movement, talk about what's going on, you know, go through a progression. I I think that you're going to get a better result from your members and they're going to probably have a little bit more respect for, for the movement in general, you know, like it's, I, you know, I always think about like the, the workout Cindy, right. And Cindy's probably up there top 100 favorite workouts that I have in reality, probably top five. Like I love, love Cindy. Um, I think it's a spectacular workout, but Cindy is an you know, AMRAP 20 of five pull-ups, 10 push-ups, and 15 air squats. And you try to do as many rounds of that as possible within 20. You minutes. could, you could, you could never forget that workout. Cause that's an MDV special. That's, that's one of, that's one of your all time hall of fame workouts. Nobody touches you use that little froggy kip rivet, rivet. You're putting a lot of, putting a lot of rounds up back in the day, kipping, to current time strict and i still love that love that workout I, that workout me fantastic. too yeah um, all-time go-to real, workout when i don't really know what i want to do same uh chelsea for me which is the same thing but it's on the minute for 30 minutes yeah. do it strict it's my favorite anyway you're coaching the workout the workout cindy it's really easy to go through like a warm-up and progression that 
you know, glosses over, you know, the air squat, glosses over the push-up, and really the whole focus is, you know, how fast can you get these rounds done? Because I get it, it's this AMRAP 20, but if you take some time, break down the movement, not only talk about standards, but again, like go through some, like one, one thing for each of those movements that, you know, gives a little bit of the nitty gritty. Then during the workout, I feel like your members are more likely to move well because again, you go do that workout, Cindy, and you know the things that you're going to see all the time. Chin's not making it over the bar. People, you know, dragging their junk on the ground when they're doing push-ups and air squats that essentially are a good morning where you barely pushing your butt back, feel that nice hamstring tension. Nobody's below parallel. I just feel like when it's super simple, it's on the coach to, you know, bring the athlete's attention to, yes, this is simple. It's not easy. I know it's an MDV tagline, simple, not easy. Um, and talk about why these movements are, are important. And I really gained a bigger appreciation for these movements when um, I started talking to one of our, one of our head coaches, uh, Colin Hill, who was uh, a gymnast at Penn State. And Colin is one of these athletes who it wasn't until he started CrossFit, you know, maybe five years ago that he ever touched a weight. Mm. And one thing I didn't know about gymnasts is that they don't lift weights at all. They only lift their body weight. And when he learned how to move a bar, what do you think? He's the best mover ever because all he's done in his life is master and master and master the basics of movement, yeah. you know, and so of, of body weight movement. So it's just, and, and it's interesting because if you watch Colin coach and you see how he breaks down these incredibly basic body weight movements, you're like, okay, cool. I like, I get it now that there, there is so much more to this and we're doing our members a disservice if we're just kind of being like, okay, today the workout has lunges in it. Let's go ahead and just do some lunges. Like, eh, that's not really it. Yeah. I, I, there's so much to get into here, Mr. Max, you know, um, first of all, high level gymnasts, male and female are masters of controlling their own body weight and just general kinesthetic awareness. I mean, there's right. nobody better. And if you looked at you know, high level male and female gymnasts. I'm sure there are male and female gymnasts that are pursuing strength training as part of their regimen. I, I would be very shocked if there weren't. Uh, it seems like it would be something that could give them, you know, um, some advantages in terms of power and explosiveness. And I'm sure there's different schools of thought on it, but it doesn't shock me that there's a portion of them that do not touch external load and only worry about their own body weight moving through space and can develop a tremendous amount of strength and awareness that way. Um, that's a really cool topic that I think we should get into at another time. But, you know, I, the thing that you, you said in, in going through um, your talk there about those simple movements is this idea, it's always on the coach. And I think that that is a hundred percent true always, like no matter what is, is shown up uh, or showing up that day for that person to introduce to the members. It's always on the coach to make sure that they are bringing their best um, to the members that day, whether or not that's, you know, their high level personality, their attitude, their teaching, they're seeing, they're correcting all that stuff. And this idea that you can ever take workouts or movements off and completely mail it in is crazy to me. 
you know, on a day like Cindy, when we're talking about a workout that is completely full of more basic body weight movements, right? You have the pull up, the push up, and the squat. I'm a big believer that you have to dive into the movements that day and give people a little bit more of an understanding of what's going on in the, the pull up, what's going on in the push up, what's going on in the air squat. Yeah, maybe you choose one of them to go much deeper than the other two, but you should be diving into the simple movement that day and helping the people unlock something that either helps their efficiency, their safety, or whatever in, in, in your teaching that day. Now, when you show up on a day that's a little bit more complex and you have, let's say there's a really heavy barbell movement in the workout, and then you have a, a high level gymnastics movement like a rope climb or a muscle up, and then maybe you have some air squats in there as well. Now, as a coach, you do have to cover the air squat that day in some way, shape or form. What you might not do is you might not spend the entire teaching section focusing on the air squat because you have these other movements that demand more of your time and attention. That's the concept of triage applied right. to the coach, right? The coach I always think of that. I always think about like just that example, there's the workout nasty girls. You've got muscle ups, hang power cleans and yeah. air squats. Yeah. So yes, in, in, in that workout, like for me, the triage goes like, we're going to, you know, spend most of the time talking about muscle ups and appropriate scales. Second most time going over that hang power clean, probably talking about positions one, position two, and then effectively cycling that bar. And then, you know, we're also going over the air squat, but yes, I, I completely agree. There is no time where it is appropriate to just like assume. And that's, and that's what I think is is hard sometimes as we as we become like more veteran coaches and we coach in front of the same group often you can get lulled into this like into this position where it's like everybody's comfortable oh this group knows how to air squat like <laughs> that's not even that we're not doing our job do you know what I mean? Like if, yeah. you, if you, if you consistently coach in front of the same group and you know the same people and then it's like, Oh, well, I know everybody here knows how to air squat. So like, I, I don't need to, I don't need to like go over this. It's, it's wild. Yeah. Well, you know, there, there are some super rare, more one-off occasions when there are workouts that have an abundance of movements you know, 10 plus movements, you know, workouts like the filthy 50 that are just a long list of movements with higher volume. And there's different levels of complexity where as a yep. coach, when you're walking in that day, yeah, you might have to make some really, really, really tough decisions about what you do focus on and what you don't focus on. But at the very least, and then this is kind of my belief on this is there, there at least should be a few reps of demonstration of the movement to at least give the athletes a visual cue or reminder of the performance of the movement. And on a workout that is less than like five movements, you know, a lot of the functional training workouts that we're talking about across the history of this podcast are two or three or four movements kind of mixed together in an interval style fashion. When you have yeah. that number of movements, there's no excuse not to at least demonstrate and show a few repetitions of the movement from a couple of different angles, and then give the kind of um, acknowledgement to the people who are standing out there in front of you watching you going, if you have any more further questions about this movement, come and ask me while we're getting ready 
to get the workout going. You know, with those simpler movements, you might not be able to spend, like I said, five or 10 minutes going over them, but you certainly should have the awareness, especially if there's somebody in the class who's brand new, that they might not fucking remember what the burpee is versus the up down or what the um, plate ground to overhead is versus a kettlebell swing. You know, I think that those simple movements or even an air squat, like somebody might forget how to set themselves up for an air squat within the first few weeks of joining uh, your gym. And this, this became so apparent to me, Max, when I joined jujitsu, because when I walked into jujitsu, I was essentially walking in with a, a bit of a wrestling background, but essentially no real functional knowledge of how to do jujitsu. Like I didn't know what a lot of things were. And it took me a long time over the course of showing up three or four times a week. That, and that's a good amount, I think, that, hey, I'm going to remember what this position is or what this move is or what I do with my body here. And when you think about your membership in that way, you get your athletes who come in three or four times a week, and maybe they've been doing that for a couple of weeks or a couple of months. Maybe they're on the newer side. They probably don't remember all of the things that you've learned over your career you know, if you've been doing this five, six, seven, 10 plus years, you have an operating knowledge that's far beyond those people. And what you assume those people might remember and know automatically, oh, you don't know, we talked about this before. Oh, you don't remember what a thruster is? That's crazy to me. No, no, they, they might not remember and it's okay. The, the workout for them is one of the best things that they'll do that day. But in the grand scheme of their life, it's probably one of the quote unquote, least important things that are going on in their head as they're thinking about their fucking day, right? Like they're thinking about their jobs, their families, their friends, whatever they've got going on in their lives. And they're going to go, I'm going to go to the gym to, to get my workout in and also get some stress relief or whatever. They're not fucking thinking about like, you know, the mechanics of the thruster or whatever, as, as they're going around their day. And maybe I'm, I'm, I'm on an, an island there, but you know, I, I think coaches have a responsibility to their members to make sure that all the members feel comfortable with all the movements and they understand what they are and not to assume or make anybody feel bad that they've forgotten something. Oh, totally. I, uh, I love what you said about the, about the filthy 50, because like a couple things you want to see, like where your group management's at, like coach a big class through the filthy 50 and you, you want to see your ability to coach, you know, multiple movements in a large class, like coach the filthy 50. Like I totally agree with you in, in that workout, the filthy 50, there's 10 different movements, right? And before that workout starts, everybody should touch every movement. And that is 100% possible, but it's, it starts with one, a really good plan and two, an even better layout of the class. And then three, an understanding of how to break up groups appropriately for that workout. You know, I can, I can say that, that like there are a couple of things that like we learned when we were at CrossFit New England that I have like carried with me for the past, you know, eight plus years. And one, one of them is like how to appropriately run and set up for filthy 50, how to appropriately run and set up for fight gone bad. You know, like there, there, there really were, uh, some, some great points that like we learned during it that I still use today. And, um, it's, 
it's super hard to do, but once you learn it, it's like, you know, engraved on you. Well, let's talk about that because I think that that's a, a, a really great value add for any coaches out there who are listening or owners out there who might be doing something different. And if you have something different that's working for you, that's great. But, you know, in terms of what I believe you and I both think about these workouts, like you said, number one is that you have to know that this workout is coming up. You have to be aware that you have a workout where you have lots of movements or stations or rotations and it's going to be something that you're going to have to prepare for. You're going to have to come in with a very clear and outlined plan about how you want to run your group through this workout. That's number one. And you have to assume or, or at least know, hey, my group is probably going to be within this size. Because there's a very different way that you run 10 people or less through the Filthy 50 and Fight Gone Bad or you run 10 people or more through filthy 50 and fight on bad. And that's kind of just an average number that, you know, you could do it depending on the size of your gym and your equipment and all this stuff with a number that's higher or a number that's lower. But I'm talking about the difference between a small group and a large group essentially. And one of the things that I always thought was so powerful in these workouts is if you do have a fucking great plan and you do come in ready to rock and roll and your space is set up in a way that, you are going to very clearly and uh, confidently move the athletes around before the athletes get there. You've done all the work. You've done the prep. You've set up the equipment. You know where the stations are. The amazement in the eyes of the athletes watching you coach that workout is like 10 times higher because you go from taking a workout that is very oftentimes a fucking shit show for a lot of other coaches out there. And you make it look like the smoothest thing ever, the, the hottest knife through the softest butter. And one of the things that I always like to do when I had a bigger group through Fight Gone Bad or through Filthy 50 is, you know, you can, you can get ahead of some of these questions earlier. You know, if there are people who are in the room who want to run through the workout, like exactly as written, like there's people who are going to oh, be yeah. really maniacal about that. You can identify that early and then you can try to figure out how do you get them started in that quote unquote first group or first station. There's also a lot yeah. of people who don't give an absolute fuck where they start in those workouts. You know, in Fight Gone Bad, you can have people start essentially at any of those stations and rotate through the workout in an order that just is sequential. In Filthy 50, when you look at that workout, you've got 10 movements. The first three are pretty fungible. The first three, you can rotate people through in any particular order, and it doesn't necessarily impact the rest of the workout all too much. From physical down to the end is a little bit different. But if you stagger those first three and then everybody runs through the rest, it's pretty easy to run. It doesn't. The first three is a box jump, jumping pull up, kettlebell swing, right? Yeah, and, the, the uh, first three movements are high high volume rotation movements that are, you know, like I said, you can mix those up and then get people moving through the rest that's, of the workout. Yeah, that's that's exactly how we do it. I this conversation is not supposed to be about like setting up, but I it is this time that I that I spoke to my coaches about last week, which is we get the workouts ahead of time for a reason because it's not just about planning a lesson. It's planning your class layout. And I agree with what you're saying that there are workouts that could easily be a, a shit show type of workout for spacing, right? Man, if, if this isn't well thought out, spacing is going to be really hard. 
And I actually think it's super easy for any coach to look ahead and identify, you know, hey, this this week, this workout and this workout, or maybe it's only one workout. This could be like a, this could be a big spacing issue. I need to make sure that like my class layout looks a certain way to make sure that this is successful, you know, or right now at, at one of our, one of our gyms, our Waltham gym, we have one class that everybody wants to come to. And it's awesome. Could be 27, could be 33 people. I coach that class three times a week. My biggest focus is making sure that everybody is not only safe, but gets the same stimulus of the workout. But that means that a couple of times during the week, I may like have to switch up that workout, but I'm not just doing it five minutes before the workout, thinking about it that night before, Hey, what's, you know, what's the plan if, um, if I have these large classes. And then for the most part, I'll just make the decision the night before, Hey, I'm going to change it. This is what it's going to be. And you know, it's, um, it's, it works because there's actual thought put into it, but you know, I guess I can bring this back to what we were, what we were originally talking about, which is, you know, we're talking about basic movements. If you're not putting real thought into these basic movements and you're assuming that, Hey, everybody, everybody is going to know it. It's probably not going to work out well. And that's also just not doing your job at that point. Yeah. Because I mean, the, the whole point of what you're doing is to make this the best for them. I, 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 I agree. I mean, I, I don't think you can argue the fact that more often than not, if you're prepared and you have a well thought out plan about how something is going to go down, that you're going to have a greater opportunity for success. Will there be some times that your plan is, you know, gets hung up on something silly that you didn't, you know, think yep. about, or, you know, even if you have the best intentions, maybe your plan doesn't go the way that you want it to go. Of course. But when you're operating blind, it, there's a higher opportunity for you to either forget something or not consider a certain element, or, you know, you get overcome by, you know, all of these things hitting you at once and you, then you flounder. And I think that that's true for coaches along the entire spectrum of their coaching journey, but it's especially true for coaches who are a little bit earlier on in their coaching journey. Those guys and girls have to prepare so much, so much, so much more. The, the length uh, and depth of the preparation of somebody who's going out there within their first like three or four years of coaching, if you're really doing this diligently within your first three or four years of coaching, you still are, in my opinion, very, very green. You're a novice. You haven't seen enough classes, enough movements, enough repetitions uh, in general to really go out there without that higher level of preparation or without that higher level of planning and execute a great class. Now, I'm not saying that there's this magical fucking switch that gets flipped at the four-year mark that all of a sudden you don't have to plan. But around that time period, in my opinion, four or five years of doing this regularly, you start to become a little bit more instinctual about the things that are going to happen or go on. You start to understand things before they go down. And the preparation can look a little bit different. You know, as you go through your career, maybe you start off preparing, writing every single fucking class out on loose leaf. You write every single thing that you're going to say out on a piece of paper. And we've all been there. We've all done that. I don't think that there's anybody who's above that. Maybe we haven't all been there, but I know I've fucking been there. I know you've been there. But when you get to that mid, that four or five year point, Maybe it becomes less of like a, a complete exercise of writing everything out and you're only focusing on certain elements 
or you're looking at, you know, a particular thing and you're breaking it down because you understand so well, all the other things that are going on. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, preparation has to happen at every level of, of this craft. I, I truly believe that because when you're coaching groups, you have a, a fantastic responsibility. It's a gift, but it's also responsibility to go out there and make sure every single member gets the most out of that day for them. And that's really challenging to do. And there's this kind of this movement right now that's going on in, in coaching that, you know, some people look at uh, coaches who co coach the group fitness environment and call them just like entertainers, that it's entertainment fitness. Yeah, there's a fucking level to, to coaching group classes that's entertainment, because if your classes are boring as shit, nobody's going to want to go to them. And your gym's not going to be successful if you're just out there like a, a dry sponge, um, you know, sucking up all the en energy in the world. But also those coaches have a really tough job to do in terms of making sure that everybody is moving safely and efficiently throughout the workout and ensuring that the, the athletes are getting the desired result. And when we're talking about functional training in the workouts that we're talking about, this is GPP, general physical preparedness. And the results should be GPP based. Yes, everybody will have individual goals and stuff like that. But like you have to ensure that over the long run, if these people are showing up consistently, that they are getting fitter, that they're being exposed to more stimuli, that then when they go outside of the gym, they have a greater opportunity to live their lives freely and fully. That's my real belief. Yeah, hard, you know, um, so one thing that you said there really struck a chord with me, which is the entertainment factor. And this is actually, this was actually one of the hardest pieces of feedback that I ever received from Ben um, was, you know, I, I, again, I'd probably been coaching for a handful of years at this point, thought I was, you know, super stud coach. And, you know, what Ben said to me is like, you know, not everybody comes to, you know, be a part of Max's comedy hour. It's true too. Yeah. I was like, Oh fuck it. Like, um, you know, first I, I like, I'll be honest. I was like super hurt. You know, I thought, and this is, I'm just an emotional guy. Like I, I, you know, my first response was like, like my feelings were hurt. I was like, Oh damn. Like I, man, I thought like, this is like, I was really doing a great job and, you know, to, was able to take a step back and realize like, well, all right. Like actually totally right. You know, it's, um, it's good that I'm able to give some entertainment, but like not everybody's here for jokes all the time. People definitely need to be having a good time. Like you said, like you can't be a, just a dry sponge, but it forced me to reevaluate the way that I was coaching and the things that I was doing. And it in turn made me really work on being better at, at instructing, being better at breaking down movement at seeing and correcting, you know, I realized that I had one part of my game that was really elevated, but I have let a lot of other things like fall to the wayside, you know? And, um, I think that all coaches, once you get into it, you, you're good, really good at one thing, right? Educate, inspire, entertain. You are like better in one area. You're drawn to that one area and it's very easy to then lean into your strength right? Oh, this is like, this is what I'm really good at. Well, like, I'll just like, I'll just keep doing this and not work on developing the other side. And what happens is you become a one dimensional coach and being a one dimensional coach is really freaking hard 
because what ends up happening is you appeal to like one type of athlete. And if your goal is to become whatever you want to be, you're a part-time coach. You want to be a full-time coach. You want to be a full-time coach. You want to be a head coach. You want to be a gym owner, like whatever it is to elevate your game. You really have to be good at like all three facets of this game. And that's, and and again, like (laughs) that takes a lot of work, which to your point, it's like, you know, people coming out being like all these guys, just like entertain people. It's like, well, entertaining people is actually hard. And, you know, and becoming a really, really great coach is extremely difficult. And I love what you said too. It's like, it's about repetition. It's about like coaching for a while, seeing a ton of different stuff. And, you know, again, I'm going to bring it back to our original topic, actually putting in good reps, right? So it's like, you could coach 10,000 hours, but if you're not putting in any real effort and not really thinking about what's going on and you're just running through like this kind of, you know, this, this kind of monotonous loop, it's like, no, you're probably not going to make a lot of progress. The same thing is if you do five minutes of air squats, not thinking about anything, you're probably not going to get that much better at air squats, Mm. you know, putting in, putting in focused work um, is really hard. And it, it also, it also, I think it's also important that, you know, coaches get coached and coaches watch other people coach the same way that, you know, we're coaching people in class. Yeah. I mean, you know, in terms of what you were talking about with, um, you know, the comedy hour and the entertainment aspect of coaching, I think everybody's going to have their own particular style, right? Everybody's going to have their own flavor of how they lead the group through the workout and how, what the room feels like when that coach is in it. I know I had a very different flavor than you had. You and Ben had a different flavor than both of us. You know, all these other coaches that we coach with over the years had their own unique style. Now, one of the things in that is that I, I particularly think that it's cringeworthy on both sides of the equ- equation. When you're talking about somebody who's going out there and, you know, dry as a sponge and is no fun and the room is just fucking falling asleep while this person is droning on about, you know, endless points of performance and, and faults and cues. And, you know, the, the room hasn't moved in 10 minutes and there's a tumbleweed that rolls by. Like, that's terrible. But on the other side of the equation, it's equally as terrible when you're sitting there watching somebody who's trying out new material, like they're up there at fucking open mic night, trying to get laughs out of the community. And the community's like, okay, yeah, the first couple of jokes were great, but now let's actually start like getting after it. Like, I don't want to sit here and listen to your stupid jokes. Both of those things are completely cringeworthy in my opinion. But if you come down to the root of what both of those things are, which on one end you have, you know, entertainment, uh, obviously like a bastardized version of it. On the other end, you have this like transfer of knowledge, again, a bastardized version of it. You have to strike a balance in my opinion between the two. There's a dichotomy there. And I truly believe this, that every coach needs to have, in, in my opinion, like I said, an element of entertainment. Some might have a little bit higher. Some might have a little bit uh, lower or more subtle. And every coach has to have an element of that education or that transfer of knowledge. Again, some might be a little higher. Some might be a little bit more subtle. Depending on where you're at there, you, I, I truly believe you have to be able to, to do both, to be one of the, the best in this business. Yeah. You what about the inspired specialist? Piece? Well, I think that, you know, for me, inspiration comes down to how you do, how you do your job and how you act um, and how you demonstrate um, the program, for lack of a better term, 
back to your, your, your members or your athletes. You know, education for me is the knowledge and understanding of how to teach the movements, how to correct the movements, how to see them and all that kind of stuff and how to do it artfully, not to put people to fucking sleep while you're doing it, you know, to be able to teach simply, to be able to dive into more detail, all that kind of stuff on that side of the equation. Entertainment is how you use, in my opinion, your presence and attitude and other uh, aspects of the environment, whether or not that's the music or the setup or um, how you're engaging with the athletes in in some ways to bring a level of fun and positivity and excitement to, to the class. Inspiration for me is, is something that's kind of more pervasive across the entire experience. I think of inspiration as, you know, I want my members to feel a certain thing when I walk into the gym, or I want them to feel a certain thing when they look at me, or I want them to, to respect the things that I'm saying, because they know that I'm doing the same things that I'm telling them to do. You know, I think that there's a a huge gap in inspiration when you have a coach who says one thing to the members, but then does another thing themselves. Because now the members are looking at and go, well, actually, I know you don't do this. I know you don't adjust your workouts. I know you don't slow down when you're learning something. I know you don't take weight off the bar, you know, if you're going through, Mm. um, you know, some sort of injury or whatever. That to me is, is more of a, an appropriate uh, definition for inspiration because yes, there's an aspect of motivation to it, of psyching your members up, of giving them positive and affirmative feedback and stuff like that. But like, that's the smaller aspect of inspiration in my opinion. Yeah. I think the inspiration is knowing who you are as a coach, being honest with your members about where you're at in your life. Um, and letting that come across in a natural way instead of becoming preachy. And I think that's a really, really hard balance. You know, um, I also think that if you're a younger coach and you're coaching people who are, you know, 5, 10, 15 years your senior, this is also really, really difficult. And my advice is always to tread lightly. You know, I think, um, I think with, with the inspiration piece, you, you, you hit the nail right on the head. Um, one thing that I've always believed in when talking to my members is being honest and upfront with where I'm at in my life, in the progression of movement and in whatever it is, putting my cards on the table at the same time trying my very best. And I know this sounds kind of ridiculous, not making it about me. You know, I think it's, I think it's really easy to think inspiration is about telling people your life story at all times. And, you know, look at me, this is, this is what's happened to me. This is, you know, how I was able to overcome this maybe once in a blue moon, but if you're getting up there in front of, in front of your members and you're preaching to them about all the hardships that you've had in your life and the things, the things that you've overcome, it's, um, it's probably falling on deaf ears after a while because people tune that shit out. Um, and so I think, uh, I, I think a lot of what you said, which is, you know, lead by example, it's, it's, it's more of a feeling of, of inspiration as opposed to, you know, again, you know, bringing them, bringing them to church every day. And it's, and it's, and it's hard. And I know we could probably do a whole episode on this, but I thought it was important to talk about. 
Yeah, I was just saying maybe we should maybe we should have a, a full discussion on that because it's such an interesting topic. And I, I agree with you, man. There's a lot to dive in there because there is a certain level of, you know, sharing, for lack of a better term, or, um, you know, talking about certain things sometimes that might be appropriate to discuss with your group. Um, it's so... I think it, it probably demands its own conversation because it, it's so involved. And, you know, I've seen coaches fuck this up so many times where like they go out there and try to have these like big rah, rah inspirational moments, or they try to dive into a topic that's like just so obviously not in it, not um, relevant or appropriate for the environment at the time. And it, it just is like, it's like nails on a chalkboard as you're watching this person try to talk about, you know, this thing in their life that they're like going out there and, um, you know, showing their members that they have overcome and they, they battled with. And like, like you said, yeah, maybe once in a blue moon, if you figure out how to do that artfully and creatively and in a lot of times and ways efficiently, you don't want to be out there telling these tales of woe for long periods of time. And then all of a sudden there's this like, punchline or this kind of lesson that you get to at the end and your class is sitting there looking at you like, you know, what the fuck, man? We just like, we came here for fitness and we, we learned about your entire like traumatic experience over the course of your life. You know, the other thing is like when there's things that go on in society or these, these kind of uh, major events outside of the walls of the gym, I've seen coaches mess this up, man, more times than I can count, you know, trying to talk about, a recent tragedy or trying to talk about like a political or social issue in front of the class. I'm like, yo, what the fuck are you doing? This is not, and people might disagree with me and that's fine. But in my opinion, it's not the time or the place to break out like the, the pulpit or like your soapbox and talk about these political and social issues in front of your group. Or like, if you have something that goes on, that's tragic that, you know, if the tension is palpable in the room and you need to address it, like you don't necessarily have to fucking dive into it in detail and talk about it for the first 20 minutes of your class. Like you can acknowledge it, you can honor it in a way that's appropriate. And then you can move the fuck on and start getting people into the workout and allowing them to get their stress or their feeling or their anxiety or whatever it is out through their movement. You don't have to be the person that helps guide them through you know, uh, coping with this tragedy, like, especially in front of 10 or 15 or 20 people, you know, in a one on one environment, if somebody's struggling, they asked you and you're talking to them, and it's behind closed doors, completely different. But, you know, when you're out there introducing your class, like, maybe stay away from diving into the the details of the latest tragedy so deeply. So I, I agree with that last piece, 100%, which is if they're is you know a, a a massive event that has happened and it's clear that everybody knows about it is it appropriate to say hey you know i know this is going on outside of the gym you know whichever way you feel about it you know we understand that that something's happened you know with that said i want to make sure that this is an environment where we can all feel safe and in, in, in my opinion, Matt, it's, it's best to be Switzerland always. And that, and that means delicious chocolate. You're outrageously good looking. 
the public transit system is squeaky clean. No, um, w- w- what it means is is that this is actually a place where like it's okay to live in the middle, and um, it, it, unless of course you know no you know what I'm not even going to go there. Just be Switzerland, and it's it's okay to to respect opinions and understand that everybody's different in the gym, but also understand the reason why people are at your gym. This is crazy. So everybody turned up right now. They're actually there to work out. Your members are coming to the gym to work out and have a good time. And if this becomes something where, you know, you're, 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 you're getting political on them, you're talking all this shit about something, no, no matter what, no matter what side you're on, you're like, probably not like what I was looking for because everybody is getting this outside of the gym, the gym. Right. So the gym has got to be something where they can come in and they're like, I'm just, I'm ready to just have a good time. And that's your job as a coach. You got to make that possible. And if here you are preaching about something, it's probably not going to be that much fun. I agree with you, man. I, um, and I, I know in a day and age when everybody has like such strong and polarizing opinions that it, it's super hard to zip your lips and maybe just accept the fact that people aren't in front of you to hear your opinion on the latest political or social issue, that they're actually there just to get a fucking workout in and enjoy themselves and maybe escape some of that stuff for a while because like we all know, especially for the past three years, it has been all consuming. And to bring that to, it's so selfish to me. Like that's the thing that gets me about this is so selfish to bring that into your classes where you feel that because you've been given a platform for fitness and health and well-being, that now all of a sudden that that platform can be used to transfer your political or social or cultural or religious point of views to these people who are in front of you for a workout is wild to me. Here's the big caveat. Unless you set up a gym in a way where everybody who comes on in, when they sign up for the membership, you know, if you're freaking want to make your gym, this political or social or religious or cultural kind of like, uh, pulpit essentially you, you tell them you you let them know ahead of time before you sign up hey this is what we do here we talk about these issues non-stop we also get a fucking workout in but like to to be a coach in somebody else's gym oh and like i said uh, like i kind of hinted there if you're the owner do what you want at your own uh detriment do what you want but if you're a coach in somebody else's gym and you take it upon yourself to think like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to wax eloquent on the latest X, Y, or Z. You got to zip your fucking lips, man. Like you have to know your role. That is so inappropriate. How about this question? This is what you should ask yourself as a coach. Will everybody in my class enjoy this conversation? Like this is, and this isn't, this isn't just a political thing. But this is actually bringing me to, to another thing that I, that I want coaches to think about. When you're going through class and you're going through progressions and there's, and there's time to have some back and forth with, with the members, do not 
have this conversation that only one person in your freaking 20 person class can interact with. What like that's that's for the five minutes before and the five minutes after. Like whatever you're talking about, it needs to be appealing to the masses. It's mass appeal. Like that's what it's about. That's also why as a gym, we started doing this thing, question of the day. You know, starts off very simple. What's your favorite ice cream flavor? Mint chocolate chip. All right. Don't don't at me. That's the best flavor. That's um, everybody's no. favorite flavor. Or or cookies and cream. Um, the real question about mint chocolate chip is whether or not you like the green mint chocolate chip or you like that white mint chocolate chip. I don't care either way. I just like mint chocolate chip. It's all my favorite. Uh, but but anyway, whatever conversations you're having, the entire class has to be able to interact with. <laughs> like, and this is why, like you're saying, like you're gonna you're gonna have some political discussion in class. You got to be out of your mind. Yeah, you got to be out of your mind. Unless, of course, people are signing the waiver and on it it says, you know, we only discuss matters of blah 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 in class. If you disagree, this is not the right gym for you. And man, let me tell you, if you're running that type of gym and you're getting members, wow, congratulations. That. I mean, no might offense. Be, I don't might be to. super successful these days. Yeah, no, no offense. No offense. I don't want to be a part of it at all. But hey, um, you do you. No, just just make sure that like everybody can interact with you again, yeah. you know? Well, I agree with you in terms of like when you're creating group wide conversation or discussion that right. you do want to talk about something or stuff that's relevant to the majority of the group or that the majority of the group can identify with or participate in. You don't want to have these like, you know, super kind of uh, just like very, very narrow discussions that only one person really understands. But in general, I also think that there's just some stuff that you shouldn't talk about, no matter if everybody in the room is down for the discussion. Like I do not think political issues are appropriate to be discussed, even if everybody in the room wants to discuss them. I, I really believe that. Like, you know, there might be one person in the room who's not comfortable with it, or there might be people who, are, who aren't there who aren't comfortable with it, and then hear about it and go, I really don't want this turning into, you know, another forum where we're just down each other's throats about these issues that like we get ber berated with outside of the walls of the gym. So, Long story short, Mr. Max, let's come all the way back around to where we started, <laughs> which is coaching simple movements. Um, you know, leave the political discussions out of it. Bring your effort and your energy to every single workout that you coach, no matter if it's more complex, no matter if it's more of your quote unquote favorite workout. I don't care what it is on the board be able to go out there and coach it like an absolute rock star, like a pro. And, um, you know, the, one of the hallmarks of somebody who, in my opinion, is 100% not a pro is when they give any sort of hint or any sort of subtle reminder to the class that the workout that they are going to coach you through at this point is not their favorite, is a boring workout, is anything negative. That is, if you think you're a professional coach and you have those behaviors in your, uh, your coaching repertoire right now, you need to eradicate them ruthlessly and quickly.
because that is the number one thing, in my opinion, that I would look at and go, this person's not a professional. What, they, what, what the fuck are you talking about? This person's a professional. They're telling the, the members that they don't like this workout. I don't care if you don't like this workout. The gym is running this workout for a reason, and you are being paid to run the workout. So go out there and run it like it's your favorite fucking workout ever. Or make every workout your favorite workout, well, which, is yeah. which is possible. Because every workout's my favorite workout. Some of them are just different degrees of favorite. So I have favorite to the second degree, favorite to the second degree times infinity. No, um, I, uh, I, I agree with everything that you're saying. And uh, we're going to finish things up here with uh, your favorite ice cream flavor, Mr. Matt. Now, with that said, Ooh. with that said, we're not doing a nutrition episode. I know that you don't eat ice cream often, but come on. Everybody likes ice cream. What's your favorite flavor? You know, I, I, I enjoy ice cream occasionally. Um, I used to like it a lot more um, when I was living in Boston when we had, you know, JP Licks, which was this awesome ice cream, local ice cream parlor, had amazing ice cream, amazing flavors. It was a treat every now and again for me. Um, I'm, I, yeah, I haven't had ice cream in a while, not because I don't enjoy it, but just because like there's not any really good ice cream around where I'm currently living. Because you live in a very you live in a very hip area, so there would probably be something like gray clouds and lavender <laughs> flavors. Um, <laughs> no, I like mint chocolate chip a whole lot. I think growing up, you know, one of my cousins who I really idolized, my older cousins, it was his favorite ice cream, and it like by default became my favorite ice cream as well. So I'm with you on the mint chocolate chip, man. I think that I particularly like the green flavor of mint chocolate chip with big chocolate chip chunks in it same i like the chunks. like little thin nonsense in there okay okay well maybe you'll have to get some ice cream it is it is super nice here it's a little bit chilly today so we're going no ice cream as um it is it's you know ready ready for the summer bod so only salads for me <laughs> um <laughs> all right matt have a all great right, day oh look, wait no last question what are you doing for a workout today people want to know what's happening well, we're, we're recording this on a Sunday, so today's going to be a little bit more of a, a rest day and a chill day. I am going to do uh, like a 20 or 30-minute stretching session. I'll probably go on a 20 or 30-minute walk. I'll hop in the sauna for about 20 or 30 minutes, and that will be a wrap for the day. Um, but I'm just looking forward to a nice chill day after that, and then uh, that's it. That's it, man. Sounds great. All I'm doing today is just uh, my strict pull-ups because we're still doing that that 30-day challenge of accumulating as many pull-ups as possible. So just going to do five pull-ups every minute until I don't want to do it anymore. Sounds lovely. Mr. Max, have a great day. Hello, friends. MDV here. Thank you for listening to the Intro with MDV podcast. And if you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe for weekly downloads wherever you listen to your podcast. Remember, we have a new episode coming to you every Tuesday. And if you have time and five stars to spare, please leave me a rating and review on iTunes. If you're looking for more out of me, MDV, you can find me on Instagram at MDV underscore FIT. Until next time, friends, let's go.